Good morning, friends. I am glad that you are here with us this morning to worship the Lord, um, to see friends and old friends, and we're so, we're so thankful. Listen, if Trinity is not your home church, I don't know if anyone is visiting or with other family members here, we want Trinity to be your, your church home if you don't have one, but we're so glad that we can gather together freely every week. What a privilege. Let me just share something very quickly as a side note. Even in the last few weeks of just preaching through hard passages and needing to do part two and part three and all that, you know, one benefit has been just kind of falling in love with God's Word again and again. As I realized, man, I don't know all this. I'm not on top of things. We need God's instructions. We need God's Word. We need it reminded again and again. That's what keeps us preachers in business is that we forget and we need to hear God's Word again and we need to preach and taught again and again. And I'm so thankful. Um, one more week of my voice and then you'll get a break. Next week I'm going to conclude um, by, on this passage and the next one on talking about deacons. And today we're talking about elders as officers for the church. Right after we talked about godly conduct for living for men and women. And so I'm so thankful for God's book and instructions that He's given us. And even in my own growing and learning, that's what I'm trying to convey. It's like even we who are seminary trained have so much to learn as we sit under God's Word and pray over it again and meditate again. So how much all of us? Well, yesterday my wife had a few sweet girls over to our house and uh, I missed them because I was a pres- presbytery, but I walked in and saw some of them. And one of the sweet little girls brought a little gift for me. It was a model car. <laughs> and I just looked at the back and I thought, wow, this is really nice. And it had a thousand pieces that probably need to be torn apart, put together, glued together. And I immediately went back to 10-year-old Jake and fear overcame me. Because I remember all those models that I tried to make, like the General Lee and airplanes and stuff like that. And it fell apart and now it's in the trash, as I shared with you a couple weeks ago. But here's the thing. I was so happy because you listened! (laughs) That little girl heard a couple weeks ago when I was talking about that. How awesome that you're listening and that you're attentive to God's Word and you're picking up on little things. Well, guess what? We are overwhelmed by instructions. And uh, you know what she said to me? She said, just follow the manual. (laughs) Yes, yes, I get it. Okay. Lesson learned. Um, I'm going to try one day to complete that model. It looked like a really cool little car, but I want to tell you, this is why God gives us what He gives us for the church. And so I start off by saying, this passage and the next passage is about officers for the church. And they are given to us on purpose as gifts because God knows how we need to operate, what we need to look like in the end. And it's so good for us to say, Lord, I'm not everything. I don't know everything. I I, I haven't figured it all out. I need instruction. And so what a good thing. 
Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in a little bit into this first passage and dive into next week's, set the stage for next week. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for the beauty of God's word. Thank you for humbling us to realize we don't know everything. We're not God. You are. And that we need to submit ourselves under the authority of your word, which is inspired by you and which we need for life and happiness and holiness. So, Father, help me first and every one of us. Give us eyes to see your Son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever been so compelled by someone's life, even though you were like not sure whether to buy into their thing or mission or organization, but you were so compelled by their life, you're like, i got to pay attention. Because I can't deny this person's life and testimony and the way they're living and the way they're talking. That's been true of me. Have you ever been burned by the church? I talked a couple of weeks ago about instructions for women. Listen, I did that on purpose when I said I need to confess that I've made mistakes. We've made mistakes as officers for not loving enough, listening enough, caring enough. I've been burned too. I grew up in a little church, no, no um, references to the particular denomination or things here, but it's my life story. I grew up in a wonderful little church plant. Jay and I were part of core families of a church plant in Manhattan and then in New Jersey, um, in North Jersey, and we didn't have good leaders across the board. I'll be very honest with you. And the model for the church was not a great model. And it began, as I began asking questions, it's like, why are some people officers and some people not officers? Even though they were very conservative and pious and all of those things, I was like, what makes a leader a leader and someone else not a leader? And what I began to recognize is some people were made leaders in the church because they'd been there long enough. True Elders, because they're old. My dad was an elder, still is an elder. But not all of them were good. It really hit home one day, later in my teens, when I heard a leader in the church, by the way, they weren't even called elders. They had a committee who they called their leadership. So, Church government-wise, was a different kind of church, but there were godly people in between. And I'll come to that in a moment. But it all hit home one day when I heard an officer, their elder type in the church say, you know, I think hell's a scare tactic. I'm not really sure if that is for real. It's meant to make you think seriously or scare you a little bit. I think hell's more like a scare tactic. And I, I walked away as a teenager kind of thinking, what? This is a leader of the church saying this? That you have doubts that hell is a real place? That it's a consequence for people who reject the Lord? It's a basic teaching. Jesus talked about hell. Plenty, maybe more than he talked about heaven. Look up his sermons. But in between that, I had some wonderful examples. I'm serious. I did have some wonderful examples throughout my life 
And it was on purpose because it was God's doing and design and not because of the, the benefit or the glory of the church. I mean, the, it wasn't because of the church's doing. I'm going to mention a few names. You'll never know these names, but I'm going to mention them. T.C. Cherian, P.T. Chandapala, who our own Joe Novitson, PCA pastor, had the privilege of studying with. And he said, if you could cross Mother Teresa and John Calvin, you would get P.T. Chandapala. That's what P.T. Chandapala was in my life. He mentored me. He was a minister in our little Reformed Indian church. And he um, stood out. Their lives are so compelling and, un- and filled with an undebi- undeniable witness of the beauty of Christ and His grace in my own life. Well, later on, Jay and I got married. She was a student at Cedarville College. I married her between her junior and senior year. And the closest PCA church was an hour away in Dublin, Ohio. And I said, we need to go. I know there's good churches here, but we need to go because I'm preparing to be a PCA pastor. I really want you to get to see what this kind of church life and church government is like. So we drove an hour every Sunday from Cedarville College to Dublin, Ohio and attended Northwest Presbyterian Church. We had questions about baptism and all kinds of stuff as we were... You know, just just talking through things. And I remember I tried telling and explaining in my great Westminster graduate theology terms to Jay, and she was like, I'm not buying it. <laughs> and then a sweet elder named Kent Knable at Northwest Presbyterian Church sat down with her. And then she said, I don't understand this perfectly, but it makes sense. And I'm willing to follow you. I am so thankful for Kent Knievel. Later on, I got to meet Paul Gunter Settle, Brad Bradley, Jack Parker at Park City's Presbyterian Church, who welcomed us and loved us. And there is this unforgettable moment the night before Elijah Jedediah Yohanan came into the world through emergency C-section that 40 men gathered around Jaya and I and prayed with tears over us and fathered us compelling lives with undeniable witness of the beauty of Christ and His grace God is designed for you, for you all to have that too. Every one of you, through the blessing of elders who are shepherds, this New Testament talks about every church needing elders, multiple elders in every church. We'll come to that. Um, and so I have three points for you. Three points for you. One, it's a calling to give, not primarily get. The call to be an elder is primarily to give and to serve, not to get. It's about a task that's a noble task and not a title. It's about serving and not prestige. Secondly, those qualified men, notice I said qualified, not every man, must be above reproach, blameless, godly, holy, full of good character and upright in heart. Not perfect, but godly and holy. And then Paul 
provides under that a list of helpful qualifications which we'll try to go through fairly quickly today. And thirdly, third point, I ask a question, why do we so desperately need elders? Here's the answer. Third point, to build up the rest of the church, the saints. We are not an officer-driven church. We're not a staff-driven church. We are a congregation-driven church, the saints of God. And our work as elders, I'm one of them, is to build up the church. And then finally, I have some applications for you. So let me go quickly and try to break some of this down. Again, you can ask any elder or deacon here and they will explain more to you and you can come and ask me and Jeff questions and so forth. By the way, Pastor Jeff and Gail are getting a much needed and deserved break. Um, They're somewhere pretty, I don't know where. Uh, Pray for them that the Lord will bring them back safely to us. Paul transitions from, in chapter 1, talking about truth and doctrine to chapter 2, talking about public worship in the context of the gathered people of God and conduct for worship, to hear to quali- the importance of qualified leaders. So remember what I just said before. Not all men are automatically called to lead. You are called to lead in your homes, but not all men are just automatically called to lead in the church or to be an officer or to be a deacon or to be an elder. It's qualified men. And so Paul gives us um, reasons so that God can receive maximum glory. So first, let me begin with this. Why study this? Why does Paul give us this? Why go through all of this? Don't we already know? Well, partially I'm taking this topic not just because it falls in line in First Timothy, but it's also because we're nominating officers right now. Eric just announced it. For the next month, we want you to look around and to evaluate who are spiritual leaders to me already who are not in those offices and perhaps we can nominate them or I think this person would be a great um, qualified person who can get more training. We want you to consider those around you. But here are three quick reasons. The first is, it is God's Word. God sees fit to include this in the Scriptures. Paul teaches it. Paul gives it to the church in Ephesus through Timothy. So that's the first reason. We can't skip it, right? It's in God's Word. Secondly, Paul makes it very clear in another one of his writings in Timothy, I mean in the book of Titus, that elders are to be appointed in every church, in every town, city. So let me read Titus 1.5. If you want to just take down... Uh, references you can and look at them later, but let me give you some references as well. Titus 1.5. This is why I left you, Titus, in Crete, so that you might put what remained, in other words, what still needs to be done in order, and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. So Paul's instruction to Titus is, I left you at Crete for a reason. I'm leaving you, but I'm leaving you there to carry on an important task, to uh, assign elders in churches everywhere. And then, third point, in Ephesians, remember, the book of Timothy, the books of Timothy are written by Paul to Timothy, and Timothy was left with the church in Ephesus. And here in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, or makes it clear, 
who gives officers to the church? Let me read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. And he gave the apostles. And he gave the apostles. Who? Jesus himself. Do you hear me? It's not a human construct. It is Jesus, the risen, ascended King of the world. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. By the way, shepherds and teachers go together. I believe that's what elders are, shepherds and teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, when Jesus gives a gift to the church, you better not say, no thanks, I don't need it. When Jesus gives a gift, it's because you need it. And because it's absolutely necessary. I shared this once before when I taught on this passage. But do you know that Woodrow Wilson, that name should sound familiar to you, when he was asked, what was the highlight of your life? He said, 15 years after he was President of the United States, my greatest honor and privilege of life was to be an elder in the Presbyterian Church. He came from six generations of pastors on his mother's side. He had grown up around First Pres in Columbia, South Carolina, and in Georgia, and in other places. His dad, I believe, was a pastor himself, and... uh, This was his testimony. The greatest honor in my life was to be an elder in the Presbyterian Church. Okay, my three points. First, elders are to be about their service and not their title or their status or the prestige, okay? This saying is trustworthy if anyone desires to the office of overseer. By the way, the New Testament gives several terms and titles that are interchangeable. I don't have time to go into all of them. In English, we get them translated like bishop or pastor or shepherd or elder. Presbyter comes from the word presbyteros or presbyteroi in Greek. It really means elder shepherd. And bishop is really the same thing, an overseer. And um, these are interchangeable um, in the New Testament. And do you realize that the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas were on, their main task was this. It was about appointing overseers and elders to the church. So elders have to be about the service and not about the title the pride, the prestige. Acts 14.23 And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And then listen to this. We'll also see that the Holy Spirit has a role in all of this. Acts 20.28 Pay pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. 
God desires every church everywhere to be led by elders. And for those who are officers in our church who are elders and those who desire to be elders maybe at some point, can I just tell you something? Don't desire too fast. It's a hard job. A very, very hard job. There is more to be asked of us as leaders and caretakers of your soul, which is in my title. There is more that is going to be asked of us than you. Because we're responsible for you. Responsible for your care. To nurture you. To tell you the truth. Even though it's hard to hear. And it should not be about the status or the position or the prestige. You know, there's a lot of people who desire office in the church because it makes them sound important and look good. And I even give you an example from my own church growing up. They had been there long enough and they should have that honor. And so the older men were called elders and put on a committee to be the spiritual decision makers of the church without being qualified in all cases, in some cases. So, if it's a task, if it's a role that you seek out, then seek it because you want to serve. Um, I want to read you something. This is true of Mark Twain, who I mentioned a couple weeks ago. I told you I'm a big English. I love English and English authors. Listen to this. Church leaders are largely to blame for Mark Twain becoming hostile to the Bible and the Christian faith. As he grew up, he knew elders and deacons who owned slaves and abused them. He heard men using foul language and saw them practice dishonesty during the week after speaking piously in church on Sunday. He listened to ministers use the Bible to justify slavery. Although he saw genuine love for the Lord... For the Lord Jesus in some people, including his mother and his wife, he was so disturbed by the bad teaching and poor example of church leaders that he became bitter towards the things of God. I know. Some of you, some of us have been burned by the church by bad leadership. And it's because they did not desire to serve, but rather they desired an office and a title and the pride and the prestige that comes with that. So first I want you to hear that this is the qual- part of the qualifications. There needs to be humility. Can you listen to 1 Timothy 1.15? Listen to this. 1 Timothy 1.15 The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And what does Paul say? Of whom I am the foremost. That is humility speaking as someone who was saved by grace. And those men that I mentioned earlier, Paul Settle, P.T. Chandapula, Kent Knabel, these men, these men were giants in my own life when it came to humility. And they served their hearts out. Not because it was a glamorous position, and not because it came easy, but because they were called to do it. Because Jesus had called them. Okay, let me move quickly. Secondly, elders have to be above reproach. What does that mean? Well, in one way, it simply means blameless. How can anybody be blameless? You've got to be blameless before you can be an officer in the church, before becoming an elder. But God desires every church to be led by qualified men who are godly, spiritual, and holy. Holiness is the key characteristic and component, my friends. 
holiness, godliness. And we're given a long list of qualifications that God requires for all those who desire the noble task of serving His church as a shepherd, as an elder, as a pastor. So let me unfold that. Okay, Paul gives us, you know, some people say there's 15, some people say there's 11. There's a lot of things here that you must think about as you nominate new elders and evaluate your current elders, including me, including Pastor Jeff. We're all under this list of qualifications. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And this is the overarching umbrella principle under which all those other qualifications come through. Okay? It's the overarching phrase which will take in the 11 qualities of an el- that an elder should possess. So let me go through some of them very quickly for you. Okay? First, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Does that mean that a man who is nominated to be an elder has to be married? I don't think so. I don't think that's what Paul's trying to say. And so there's been misinterpretation over the years. And it doesn't mean that single men can't serve as elders. And other people say that it disqualifies those whose wives have passed away. Or if they've been divorced. Or remarried in every single case. What it actually means is the man and the husband who is... Um, qualified to be an elder is committed to his wife as a one-woman man. You've probably heard that before, but I'll say it again. He doesn't have eyes for anybody else. He's not looking at all the other women in that other way. His heart and his uh, love is tied to one woman. A one-woman man, the husband of one wife. And so under certain circumstances... A divorced man can still qualify and serve. Or a single man. He's got a purity of heart. But if he's a married man, he needs to be a man who is holy and godly and pure to be a one-woman man, not looking for others. Okay. Secondly, sober-minded. What does that mean? It literally means free from excessiveness and rashness and... Um, being aware and alert of the situations around him. Not hot-headed. Not somebody who just quickly jumps to things off the handle. Thirdly, self-controlled. Here, self-controlled means not being controlled by others or sin. If a man is really controlled by some of his sins and habits and vices, then he's not able to be self-controlled, right? Okay, next, respectable. Those who he serves must have respect for him. That adds to his, his believability and his credibility as a leader. Hospitable. You know, I remember during our free storm. Do you guys remember that? Some of you remember that pretty well if you were, lived in this area. You know what really moved me? That there were so many in our church that said, does someone need a place to stay? We have heat. Send them to us. So many of you did that. You called and said, we still have heat. Send them to us if you have somebody. We'll open up our home. Brothers, sisters, we live in America like our homes are little kingdoms. We don't let anybody in. We keep everything perfect and pristine. 
Are you hospitable? Are you letting people come in and are you caring for them? Hospitality begins with leaders like me, like Jeff, our officers, deacons. Thank you for those who do that. And show us what the inside of your family life and your homes look like. Let me move on. Able to teach. This is a key thing for those who are elder shepherds. They are teachers. And what this means is that he can teach others from God's Word. And it doesn't mean that they all need to be able to preach. It doesn't. There are elders who, who confess and tell us, it's like, listen, I'm not sure if I'm called to preach from the pulpit. Although I tell every single one of them, you better be ready to preach because some Friday night or Saturday night, you're going to get a call and say, Jeff's out of town and Jake's sick. Or the other way around. Have something in your back pocket that you can pull out and be able to share and teach from God's Word. It's absolutely necessary to be able to teach God's Word because you're people of the book. Even more than the layperson. You must know to handle God's Word. And you should be able to teach in a one-on-one opportunity like counseling someone or with families or in small groups. You should be able to teach. And then he gives us He gives us some things that elders and shepherds should not be. Not a drunkard. What does that mean? Shouldn't be prone, over prone to drinking. Listen, you can have a beer. You can have a glass of wine. But if people notice that you do that a little too much and you lose control and you're not talking right, that's bad news. Should not be prone to drunkenness. Secondly, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Have you seen leaders like false teachers in Ephesus and other places? They always want to quarrel and argue with you. That's not winsome. It's not pointing to the Lord. It's not pointing to the Scriptures. Not violent. Absolutely not. They should be gentle. The false teachers were guilty of stirring up strife Uh, and confusion amongst the churches, but not so with you, brothers, who are called to this office and those who are already in office. Not a lover of money. Listen, this was true of that time period, and I'm telling you that it's true now. Some people do a lot of what they do in the church for self-gain, for prestige, for pride, but also to grow in some other way through their contacts. Because of love of money. And they use their teaching, even within the church, to promote that. But here are some other positives that Paul gives us. He must manage, verse 4, he must manage his own household well with dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Does this mean you've got to have children? No. Doesn't mean you have to be a family man, no. But it does mean this that God entrusts greater things to those who are faithful in the smaller things. And it begins, brothers who are married and who have children, it begins in your home. Godliness and correction and instruction and teaching begins in the home. And so those who are aspiring to this noble task, this good work. That's literally what it means, a good work. Those who aspire to do a good work. 
Just like in the previous passage, women were called to be adorned with good works. Anything that pleases the Lord. Your thinking, your doing, your speaking. If you are called to this, then it begins in your home. Okay. Um, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. What is this saying? It's saying that it's not so much about age, but it is saying that there is an opportunity to become conceited if you're given that leadership and that office too quickly. They need to know what the hardships of life are and what being a Christian really means. They need to have certain levels of experience. It's all about maturity. Now listen, I've met young men who are mature and godly beyond their years, but also I've met older men who are not. And so we need to be very wise in choosing leaders or in understanding what this qualification means. Let me go to point three and then I'll try to wrap up as quickly as I can. Listen to this. They must build up the church. Why do we need elders? They are to build up the church to service and to ministry. Can I give you a confession right now? I don't want to do everything. Jeff doesn't want to do everything. We don't want to be the only teachers. We don't want to be the only counselors. We don't want to be the only shepherds. We don't want to be the only servants who care for the needs of the church. Our goal as elders, our, our pastor teachers, are to invest in the rest of you so that the saints of God, let me read the passage, it does it better than I could ever say it. Ephesians 4, 11-15, listen to this, okay? And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. That's the goal. Now, as a pastor, you know what my ultimate goal and delight would be if I could invest in the officers of the church so that they can then minister to you guys as best as you possibly need them. As much as you possibly need them. Otherwise, you know what happens? We get burned out. We get overwhelmed. We can't do anything. We can't, we can't do everything. The goal is to be able to do the work of the ministry together. All of us. Being the, the hands and feet of Jesus. So Paul writes to the Ephesian church that the Lord Jesus has given elders to His church for the purpose of equipping them in the knowledge of the Son of God so that we can be united in Christ together. I'm going to read something to you that I wrote so I would not get it wrong. I want you to hear this sentence loud and clear. The great and noble work of the shepherd is to teach and convey the depths of truth from God's inerrant and holy word and to help the people of God to apply those truths in their context of daily life so that the whole church knows Jesus better and learns to follow and obey Him more closely. That's the goal. This is a great and noble task that will not be done until Jesus comes back. Do you hear what I'm saying? Elders are needed. <laughs> New elders are needed for the church of God until Jesus comes back. So we have work to do. We have work to train men to nominate men, to encourage men, to be the gifts for the church that Jesus 
wants them to be to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. It's not done until Jesus comes back. Okay, I'm over time, but I'm going to give you quick applications. Those who are already elders in our church, please listen. I say this with all respect and honor for you. You know that list I had before? Some of you are on that list. You have meant that to me. I mean it seriously. You have been that to me and my family. You've made all the difference in our lives at key moments. But here's the thing. Are you working hard? Are you doing the noble work that sometimes never gets a thank you, never gets applauded, never gets honor or respect? Here's something really, really important. I want to ask, is there anything here that Paul has given us that you need to spend more time about because you're convicted? Is there anything that the Apostle Paul has said here that you're convicted of and need to spend time praying about? To the church, to all of you, are you listening and obeying the leaders that God has given you because Jesus himself has given you those leaders? Do you listen to what they say or do you blow them off? Do you make judgments? Are you listening to them as Jesus has appointed them? Are you faithful, available, and teachable? Are you taking hold of the truths and making them a part of your life? Are you doing your part to be filled with the Lord Jesus and unified with other brothers and sisters as your elders are instructing instructing you and teaching you? And finally, I, I will say to everybody here, I want you to remember one thing. Jesus loves you. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to take this last minute to say this very, very clearly, and you probably heard me say this before. This is something I'm aware of every day of my life, okay? I mean this, I mean this 100%. I know I have a target on my back. I know that the devil hates me. I know the devil wants to kill me. I know the devil wants to stop me. I know the devil wants to break my family. I know the devil wants to hurt my marriage. I know that the, I know that the devil hates my children. I know that the devil hates the church. Don't ever forget that we have an enemy and he hates us. But can I give you the flip side of the coin? But Jesus loves us. The devil hates you, but Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he has not left you alone and said, go figure it out. He has put godly people in your life on purpose at every stage of your life to instruct you, to teach you, to guide you, to counsel you, to hold your hand, to pray with you, to weep with you, to rejoice with you because he loves you that Let's pray. Father, I ask that you will um, convict us again and be thankful and grateful. Bless us as we go into our time of communion. Speak to our hearts with your 